Hey guys, welcome to the Journeys series here at Three Circle Church. This is our summer series. Every summer we uh, we come up with a series, a biblical series, where we can teach through the Bible all summer long. And here's what is unique about the Journeys series this summer. If you miss a week, it's, it's okay. We hope you'll catch up. But you can show up on any week. You can dial into us any week and not need to catch up on anything because each one of the 10 weeks of the Journey series will be a different separate journey that you can learn from and uh, will be life-changing for you. So please join us for this incredible series. And I don't know about you, but I love to travel. I love a great trip. In summertime here in America, it, most of us are going to take some kind of trip, whether it's a week or a weekend, whether it's to a lake or a beach or to the mountains, maybe it's to a theme park, but most of us are going to take some kind of trip. It's just kind of a part of Americana, and I bet if you're joining us somewhere else in the world, I bet you have your own version of the summer trip, right? Well, we're going to take a look in the Bible at 10 different journeys, 10 different trips that people or a group of people took in the Bible that really changed their lives. In other words, we're going to look at God-designed trips that taught God-designed lessons. And so all summer long, we're going to take these journeys that these people took in the Bible. And I think you're going to find it to be exciting. I think you're going to find it to be interesting. But most importantly, like all of the Bible, these trips, these journeys are going to point us towards Jesus and towards the gospel. I promise you, as we go along the journeys with these people, from Abraham uh, to Isaac to Jacob to Jonah, as we go with the disciples with Jesus uh, to Caesarea Philippi, as we go with the Apostle Paul on one of his missionary journeys, and as we finally go all the way from Genesis to Revelation through this series, as we go with John himself to the island of Patmos, as we see all this happen, we're going to learn some lessons. We're going to learn about God. We're going to learn about our place in the story as well. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss a week of this. So uh, let's fire up the Airstream trailer in the truck. Let's get our bags packed. Let's take a journey together in the Bible from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. And let's see what God has to teach us through his designed journeys we find in the Bible and the designed lessons he has waiting for us. So the first journey we're going to look at from the Bible is, is a journey that a man named Noah took with his, with his family. It's one of the most famous stories in the Bible. A lot of people call it a kid's story, but 
I don't think it's a kid's story at all. I think, in fact, it's a story for all of us. It's, it's rich. It's a real historical event in history. And today, as we look at the journey that Noah and his family took on a boat called the Ark, we're going to find that God has incredible lessons to teach us. And, and what I want you to understand is the, the story of Noah is one of the most epic stories in human history, one of the most epic stories in biblical history. It's one of the most epic trips, one of the most epic journeys that anyone has ever taken. And this one happened to be taken on a boat. Now, think about it. I have an Airstream trailer behind me, which is one of my favorite things in the world. So cool, so Americana. It just says road trip, right? Well, what we're going to find is this journey that we're going to look at with Noah, it had a, a vehicle, if you will, as well, a big wooden boat called an ark. Now, there's a lot of things we could talk about with the Noah story. We could talk about how the environment of earth itself was very different then. We could go into whether God flooded the whole earth or, or not, and I believe that the Bible meant what it said that he did flood the whole earth. We could go into the hydraulics and the science behind water coming out of the earth and the firmament collapsing onto the earth to create all that water. But that is not what we want to focus on today. Those are all interesting and important things. But today, because this is the Journeys series, we're going to focus on the journey. We're going to focus on the trip that Noah and his family took. We're going to look at the details. We're going to look at the, uh, the plan. We're going to look at the itinerary, if you will, that they followed. And we're going to see in the end, because each week we're going to unpack after, after we take a journey, we've got to unpack the bags. And so we're going to do that today as well. We're going to see what can we learn from Noah's journey on the ark. So join me now as we look at the story of Noah and the ark. So the first thing we want to look at today as we talk about the trip, the journey that Noah took on the ark, is what was going on. Why did he take this trip? What was the context of the trip? And to do that, we go to the scriptures. If you have your Bibles or your devices, you can turn to the book of Genesis with us. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 7. So what was going on way back in ancient times? What was going on around Noah as he got ready for this trip? Well, Genesis 6, 5 through 7 says this. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. Now this is interesting. This is telling us what was going on as Noah got ready to take his trip. Like, why did, why did there, why, why was there an ark needed anyway? Why did Noah take this long, long trip? Why was the earth flooded? Why did God do that? Well, it tells you this. Number one, you can know this. The people of the earth had become completely consumed by sin. This was a really dark time on the face of this earth. And the Bible lets us know that people everywhere, and there's estimates that there could have been seven to eight million people on earth at this point in human development, but the Bible's clear here, they were totally consumed by sin. And another thing we see here that's important, we see here in the book of Genesis with the story of Noah, the trail of sin. You see, we can learn from these journeys. So this isn't just a narrative. If we read closely, the Bible's teaching us some things. It's going to teach us about God, how He relates to us, teach us about us and our proclivities and and remember, the, 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 the events of Noah and the ark happened after the fall. So people are born with sin natures now, including Noah and his family. But what we see is not only were they born with sin natures, but these, these people, these 8 million plus people had rebelled against God. They had not gone to God 
for deliverance. And instead, they'd allow themselves to become consumed with sin. And the Bible tells us here that the intents of their thoughts and their hearts were evil. Now, what this tells you is that's where sin begins. You need to know that sin starts in the heart. Sin starts in the heart. Sin doesn't start with your actions. They end there, but they start internally. They start in the heart. And what the Bible is telling us here is that absolutely their hearts were full of sin. This teaches us a very important principle, and it's this. Your inner life is your most important life. What's going on inside of you is going to determine what's going to happen outside of you. If you wonder where your actions came from, it comes from the heart. That's what the Bible says. God does not go into a deep list of what people were doing that was sinful. But what he does say is that everything inside of them was rebelling against him. That their hearts, their souls, their minds, the way they thought, the way they felt, their emotions, their volition, all of those things, the internal life, the inner life, it was all pointing to sin. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says this, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Now, what does that verse mean? It means this. You can write it down or, or just kind of bury it in your heart. Here, here it is. Your inner life will eventually determine your outer life. What's going on inside of you is just that important. And right out of the gate, we see as we examine the journey that Noah took, before we even get to the journey, before we get to the ark, what we see is the environment that produced this journey, that produced the ark, was an environment that was full of sin. The people had become consumed with sin and God takes you right to the heart of it. He says, this happened in their hearts. This is something that happened deeply inside of them. So right out of the gate, we understand this. The environment that produced the ark and the journey was an environment of sin that begun in people's hearts. And it begins that way for you and I. And see, often we focus on our outer lives. We focus on how we look and are we in shape and how are we doing in that regard. But often we ignore what's going on inside of us. And I would encourage you today to take a deep look at what's going on inside of you because what's inside of you is going to determine what happens all around you in your life. So as we continue to look at what was going on around Noah in, in what we would call the days of Noah, the Bible says in Genesis 6, 11 through 13 this. It says, The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. Now we see a little bit. So what, what we just read is that sin starts in your heart, but sin always comes out. It always has an outward result. And what was happening is what was happening in their hearts was coming out into corruption and violence. Verse 12 says, So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. They had chased their sin nature. They had gone as far as you could. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So this is why God came to his decision, to basically wipe out humanity on the face of the earth. And, and what I want you to understand is the Bible tells us that what was happening in Noah's day will happen again. And in fact, we may be living in the beginning of a time like that. Uh, write it down if you want to or remember it. Noah's days were comparative to the wickedness that will be present in the end times that the Bible talks about, right? Matthew 24, 37 says this, and Jesus was speaking. He said, But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Now, if you're new with us, or maybe you're new to Christianity, the Bible tells us that, that the Word of God basically describes that all of human history sits before our God. He sits outside of time. 
And from creation to the end of all things, we need to understand that God is over it and He is sovereign. But Jesus Himself said, hey, the times of Noah were dark. But He said, when I return to the earth, and, he, and Jesus will return one day. Because one thing you're going to learn today is that God is faithful. From Noah's journey, we're going to learn that God is faithful. So He does what He says He's going to do. You can bet Jesus will return. And what Jesus says is, when He does return, the, de the world will feel a lot like it did when Noah was on the earth. It'll feel a lot like the days of Noah. And what does it mean? It means that people in mass will turn against God and that all of the ways of their minds and their hearts will rebel against God. And, and that is what we, and by the way, you can see our culture move in that direction. You can see it all around. Now, I'm, I don't know when Jesus is going to return, but I do know that the Bible tells us to look for those signs. And I do know this, that when he returns, the earth will look a lot like Noah's day. But that gives us now a really good picture of what was going on. Like you can probably remember some of your favorite trips that you've taken. And I've taken some great trips and journeys in my life. I can kind of remember what was going on during that time. I remember when I took my family to New York City. I can remember the ages my kids were and, and, and how awesome that was and why they, their ages and kind of the development that they were in at that stage of their life also enhanced the trip in a very unique way. I can remember the context of the trip. I can remember what was going on in my life and my wife's life when we took that trip together. So now we know what was going on in the world around Noah. It was a dark place. It was a tough place. It was a sinful place. But now that we know the context, let's look at the main character. Let's take a look at Noah. So every, every great journey has characters, right? And, and I, I know how Noah felt because every time I've taken my family on a trip, I, I kind of lead the way, you know? Even when I'm not sure what's going on, I feel like I need to lead the way. Well, Noah's going to take his family on an amazing trip. But, but why Noah? Like, why if the whole world was corrupt and the whole world was sinful, well, why Noah? Why does Noah get a chance to take a journey that will eventually lead to his salvation? Well, let's read. Genesis 6, 8 through 9 says this. What? The whole world we just read is corrupt. The whole world is violent. The whole world's evil and sinful, but Noah. Not Noah. Verse 8 says, But Noah found favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation, and Noah walked with God. Now that's an important thing for us to understand about our main character in today's journey. Noah was a unique man. Noah had chosen, listen, in his life, Noah could have went the way everyone else did. Did you know that Jesus warned us that there's a wide way to life and a narrow way? And Jesus calls us to the narrow way. Jesus said the gate that leads to destruction is a wide gate. Everyone goes the wide gate, but there's only a few, Jesus said, who are willing to go the narrow way. Well, that's who Noah was. Noah was a man who was willing, even though the whole world was going one way, he was willing to stand. And he was willing to trust God and follow God. He was willing to be weird. He was willing to be different. He was willing to take the narrow way. And that narrow way is going to end up leading to his salvation. He took the road less traveled. And, and that's another thing we can learn from this journey today. 
Noah was willing to take a journey that no one else was willing to take, and it led to his freedom. It led to his salvation. This is all pointing us to Jesus. It's all pointing us to the gospel. And the question today for you and I, in a culture very similar to Noah's, in a culture where the whole world seems to be turning against God, going our own way, and arrogant and proud about it, right? In a world like that, are we willing to stand? Are we willing to stand out against and contrast against the world around us? Are we, are we willing to be true to who God has called us to be? Noah was, and it says a few things about him. It says he was blameless. Now that word in the Bible does not mean he was perfect because we know that Noah had his struggles and Noah was a human. He was not perfect. Noah did not get put on an ark and saved eventually because he was good. Noah was put on an ark because he believed in a good God. That's why Noah was saved. So what does blameless mean? Here's what it means. It means sincere and authentic. It means that Noah wasn't perfect, but he was sincere and authentic in his faith in God. He had met God and he believed God and obeyed God. And that's clear because when God gave him instructions, he did what he said to do. And it's clear that because of his faith and belief in God, Noah was willing to live a different life. This word favor, that God found uh, favor in Noah, Noah found favor with God, it means the grace of God, the, the unmerited favor, the unmerited love of God for us. Again, Noah wasn't saved because he was perfect, and you and I won't be either. The gospel hasn't changed. God is unchanging. He works the same way. Noah was looking forward to the day that there would be salvation in the coming Messiah. He didn't even know all those answers, but he did know enough to know that there was a God who loved him and who was in control. And he had to decide, Noah, whether he was going to be the boss of his life or whether he was going to follow the God who created him. And he made the choice to go the narrow way. In fact, in the New Testament, we have this section in the book of Hebrews that we call the Hall of Faith, like the Hall of Fame for baseball or football or basketball. There's a Hall of Faith, we like to call it, in theological circles. And it's these guys from the Old Testament that the Bible describes who were saved by faith, the same way you and I are. Now, they didn't know about Jesus and the cross. They were looking forward to him through a glass that was dim. But there was enough there for them to trust God. And look what it says. It says, by faith, Hebrews eleven seven. by faith, Noah. So if you wonder how was he saved? It was by faith, same way you're saved. By faith, Noah being warned by God. So God communicated with Noah just like he communicates with us through his word. He communicates with us much more clearly than with Noah. But he, he did communicate with Noah. He warned him concerning events as yet unseen. In other words, Noah had never seen rain. Noah had never seen a flood. And yet when God told him something, he believed it. In reverent fear, so he, he, he trusted God and he worshiped God in reverence. He constructed an ark for the saving of his household, an ark that he didn't even understand why he would need it. By this, look at this, by this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Notice he did not earn it. It was given to him. He was an heir. He inherited what? He inherited from the future Jesus the righteousness that would be bought for him in the future on the cross. That's how it works. We look back at Jesus. Noah was looking forward to him. And it's clear here that it was by faith that Noah was saved. It was by faith that he and his family would be rescued. Now we get to know who Noah was. Noah was a reverent man towards God, an authentic, blameless, meaning he was authentic. There was no uh, uh, guile in him. He wasn't two-faced. He truly loved God. He was true blue when it came to his love for God. And now we see this, Noah's righteousness came from God. He was an heir, meaning he inherited it 
by faith. Because he placed his faith in God, God gave him the righteousness that would be paid for on the cross in Jesus. Another thing we, we see is that Noah was actually a preacher of the gospel. Did you know that? Noah's one of the first preachers ever of the gospel. Maybe he was the first. 2 Peter 2.5 says this, If God did not spare the ancient world, talking about the days of Noah, but preserved Noah, watch this, a herald, that's a preacher, a herald of righteousness, righteousness, the gospel, with seven others, that was his family, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So Peter wrote in the New Testament that Noah actually, while he was building that ark, while he was living a life that contrasted against the rest of the world, Noah was actually preaching the gospel. He was a preacher. And so what do we see here from 2 Peter? We see, number one, know who he was. We need to know our main character. He was a preacher of the gospel. He was a believer in God, and he trusted God by faith. And that's why he was saved, and that's why he was considered a friend of God. Noah walked with God. He had a real relationship with God. So let me ask you today, do you have a real relationship with God? Could it be said of you and I that we walk with God, that we are blameless, not perfect? Noah wasn't perfect. I'm not. You're not. But, but are we authentic? When we say we follow God, do we really follow God? Do we really love God? Are we really who we say we are? Noah was. And now that we know the context for the journey and the main character of the journey, let's take a look at the Airstream trailer of the journey, if you will. Let's take a look at how they took their journey. I think it's time now that we look at the ark. So now that we've looked at the context for the journey of Noah and the ark, and now we, we got to know Noah, and we're learning so much about God and so much even how we're saved. Noah was saved the same way you and I are, not by works. We don't earn it. It's given to us when we place our faith in God. That means we believe in God. We say in Christianity, we don't do our way to Jesus. We believe our way to Jesus. That's how this works. Well, let's talk about the ark. Now, I could go into great detail about how they built the ark and all of those things, but today what I want to show you is the ark and how it pointed to Jesus. You can write it down and think about it. The ark points to Jesus. It's very important you understand that. The ark is a picture in the Old Testament as so many things were. It's like a great movie. When you see the previews to a movie, and I love movies, when I see a great preview, it makes me want to watch the movie, but it doesn't tell me everything about the movie. It saves the best stuff for later, right? It's just a preview. Noah and the ark, as great an epic story it is, great journey, great trip that changed their lives, changed the world forever. It all was pointing to a bigger story, an even better story, an even more epic one, the story of Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand the ark pointed to Jesus. Let me tell you some ways now that the ark points to Jesus. So now let's take a look at the ark and how the ark pointed to Jesus. Number one. The ark was provided by God through grace. Did you know that? It's really clear in the Bible that Noah did not come up with this plan on his own. In fact, we just read in Genesis 6-8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So God loved Noah, and Noah didn't earn it, but Noah had placed his faith in God. And then in Genesis 6, 13 through 14, it says this, So God said to Noah, I'm going, I am going, not you're going, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. Watch this, verse 14. So make yourself, see it was his idea, not Noah's. It was God's idea to save Noah, and it was God's idea to save us. 
So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside out. Now that's the basic details of the ark. I could give you measurements. I could give you all these different details. I could give you how it worked and how it kept them afloat, how it kept all those animals alive. But that's details for another day. What you do need to know is this. Jesus is the real show for which Noah was a preview, okay? Because as great as the ark was, the ark is going to save this little family of seven people one time from a flood. What Jesus is going to do was also planned out by God. It was God's design. It was God's idea. The Bible tells us in the New Testament, when the time was right, God sent Jesus into the world to save us. And the time was perfect. The time was right. It was God's idea for Noah to build an ark. It was God's idea to send Jesus to save us. Secondly, God had a plan for the ark. So it was provided by God, and he also had a very detailed plan. The details are incredible, Genesis 6, 14 through 15. It says, so make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it, coat it with pitch inside out. This is how you are to build it. Do you hear that? God says to Noah, you don't get to do it however you want. You don't get to build this thing the way you want. I'm giving you the blueprint. If you want salvation, you're going to have to do it my way. He says, this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. This is very important for us to understand. In the same way, God gives us our directions in the New Testament of how to be saved. God says, believe upon my son. The Bible is very clear. Believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. We don't get to go to God how we want to. We don't get to approach God in a way that we're comfortable with or makes us happy. We have to go to the holy God the way he has prescribed. He tells Noah, here's how you're going to build the ark. And he tells us, here's how I want you to come to me. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except through the Son. There it is. There's the blueprint for the ark, the blueprint for our salvation. God had a plan for the ark. Thirdly, the ark forced Noah to focus on God rather than his circumstances. The design of the ark made it very hard for Noah and his family to be able to see what was going on around them. Now, I bet they could hear it. I bet they could hear the rain and the deluge and the firmament that surrounded the earth collapsing on the earth and and the fountains breaking from beneath, letting all this water out. Oh, I'm sure they could hear it, but they could not really focus on it. While they were in that boat, they had to focus on God. In fact, Genesis 6, 16 says, make a roof for it, so part of the design, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all the way around, put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. In other words, God's like, I'm shutting you in this thing and you're gonna have to trust me to get you through it. This means that Noah could not focus on his circumstances and you and I are made and designed to live life focused on God instead of our circumstances. Once again, The ark is pointing us right at Jesus. And Jesus invited us the way God did Noah. Hey, get on the ark and trust me to save you. And Jesus invites us to come to him and trust him that he will save us. The work has been done on the cross. Why Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Again, the ark was pointing us to Jesus. The ark was pointing us to the real show, the real movie, the real story, the real gospel in Jesus. Let's continue to look at just a few more things and a few more ways the ark pointed us to Jesus. So number four, ways that the ark points us to Jesus is this, the ark had rooms in it. 
He told him, build the ark and have it have compartments, have rooms inside of it. Once again, this points us to Jesus. John 14 and 2 says this, my father's house. Jesus said, my father's house, there's an ark for us too, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? Did you know that the ark pointed to Jesus? Like, there's going to be room for all of us. There was room on that ark. You wouldn't have thought it. You'd look at it and you go, wow, you're going to put all the animals in the world, uh, you know, enough to represent all of, of creation and this family. Y'all are going to be on this one boat, but actually it worked perfectly. And guess what? There's room for you and I. There's room for all of us and all that will come to Jesus. There are rooms prepared for us. Number five. There was one way into the ark. Did you notice that? There's not multiple ways into the ark. You couldn't get in the front and the sides or pick if you wanted to come from the bottom or over the top. There weren't lots of trails leading into the ark. There was one way. And Jesus is clear in the New Testament that there's one way to our salvation as well. John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. Just like the ark had one door bringing people and animals into it, there is one door that brings us into our salvation, and it is through Jesus alone, Christ alone for our salvation. And then finally, number six, the ark was secure. In the same way, our salvation, did you know that Jesus said our salvation is secure? Did you know that Jesus said once that, that those who the Father gives to Him, so Jesus is in the hands of the Father and that they are in His hands and that nothing can pluck us out of the hands of Jesus? Nothing. There's another place in the New Testament that says no power above or below or has come or ever will be can separate us from the love of our God because of Christ Jesus. The ark was secure. Noah and his family were safe on the ark, even though one of the most cataclysmic disasters to ever hit this earth was happening around them. They were secure in God in the ark. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22 says this, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, He set His seal of ownership on us, and He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what He is to come. This is amazing. God secured them on the boat, and God secures us in Christ Jesus. And you and I can trust that He is in control. This reminds me, just last year we had a big hurricane hit our area, Hurricane Sally. And we live in a house built by a good friend of mine. He's a great home builder. His name is Ryan Creel. He built the house that we live in. And when the hurricane was hitting, those of you who are in our recording area on the Gulf Coast, it was a really bad storm. And what made it really even worse exponentially is it stayed on top of us for a long time. It was barely moving, which meant we had hours and hours and hours of hurricane force destruction on our area. So I was sitting in my house. We didn't leave town. We stayed in this house that my buddy Ryan built. And you know what? The whole time I was in there, I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go out and hold the shingles and the roof on the house. I had to trust that the way my friend built the house was going to hold. And you know what it did? In fact, in the middle of the storm, I texted him and I said, hey, man, you built a good house. I could hear things pulling and creaking. and I could hear the wind whipping against the house. But we were all safe in the end. We were secure as long as we stayed inside that house. Guess what? Noah and his family were safe on the ark that God had provided for them, even though everything around them was going crazy. They were completely secure as long as they stayed on the ark. That teaches us so much. It shows us so much that we can trust about our Lord and how He has saved us. So in the same way 
Noah and his family were secure on the ark. We are secure in Christ. In fact, there's four things that if we're in Christ, we have according to the Bible. Number one, we have salvation in Him. If you are in Christ, you are saved from sin and death. You have nothing to fear and you're forever in Christ Jesus. You now have a relationship with your Heavenly Father. Not only that, in Jesus, we have secured our transformation, meaning He will change us. Noah and his family were never the same. They, they could trust God in a way they had never learned to trust Him before. They, they learned on that boat that their God was faithful and trustworthy. That transformed them. Well, you and I are also changed and transformed. We're never the same. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone, the Bible says, the new has come. Thirdly, we have fullness in Christ. Jesus said, I have come to bring you life and life more abundantly. Guess what? On the boat, on the ark, Noah and his family had everything they needed. They didn't starve. They weren't in pain. They were taken care of by their loving Heavenly Father. And you and I have fullness of life and fullness of joy in Christ Jesus. And then finally, we have freedom. According to Galatians 5.1, those who the Son has set free are free indeed. We have freedom in Jesus. We are not bound by our sin, by our past anymore. And guess what? Even though Noah and his family, they were contained on that boat, they were really free. The most free people in the world were the ones that took the narrow road took the road less traveled, not the wide gate. They were stuck on a boat, but they were free in their heavenly Father. These are promises that we have in Christ. The ark pointed us to Jesus. So what we've learned today from Noah's journey and the ark is we've learned that before the trip began, God's the one that planned the trip that would be the one that would change their lives. He planned the journey. He planned the vessel, the Airstream trailer, if you will, the ark for the journey. He planned every detail of the journey, the itinerary, and he planned how it would be built. And then in Genesis 7-1, he tells them it's time to get on the boat. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Like one more reminder, he, he doesn't tell Noah that Noah earned it. He says, I can tell you trust me. You did everything I said to do. Again, his building the ark did not earn him a place on the ark. Understand, his belief in God to begin with is what led him to build the ark. He worked from, he obeyed from his love for God. And it was credited to him righteousness. And then I love this in Genesis 7, 16. Once they all get on the boat, guess what? They couldn't close the door, the door on their own. God did it. It says this, And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God commanded, and the Lord shut him in. Know this, you can't seal your own salvation, but your salvation has been sealed in Christ Jesus. The Holy Spirit seals us in Him. The, the Spirit inside of us bears testimony that we belong to God according to 1 John. So what we see here is even then, it's the same way it works now. God designed the boat. God told him when to get on the boat. It was God's timing, God's way. And then He's the one that lovingly shut them into the ark and sealed it for them. In the same way God does for us. If you're today in Christ Jesus, you have nothing to fear. You have nothing that can shake your confidence, your salvation, your promises in Christ Jesus. He will be faithful. And now that we've gotten into the boat, let's take a look at how long this journey lasted. So now that we're on the boat, let's take a look at how long this journey lasted. So Noah's journey on the ark. It was a long trip. It was a 370-day trip. Let me give you the itinerary because when I go on a trip, I want to know what are we doing in the morning, in the evening, what, what do our days look like? Well, here's kind of a flyover, if you will, of the epic journey of Noah and the ark. Day one, 
Noah and his family boarded the ark and set sail, if you will. Day seven, the floodwaters rise from the deep. Day 40 was the last day of rain that hit the earth. Day 150, after all things outside the ark die, the flood begins to recede. So that's when God finished what he set out to do. Day 224, the tops of the mountains begin to dry. Day 264, Noah sends out a raven for the first time. Uh, Day 271, Noah releases a dove, but it returns because there is no dry land for the dove to land. On day 278, Noah releases that dove again, and it returns with an olive leaf this time, telling him, okay, the water is coming down. On day 285, Noah releases the dove again, but it does not return. What does that mean? It means he found somewhere to land. In day 314, Noah removed the cover of the ark that God told him to keep keep on so that he wouldn't be looking at what was going on around him. He now removes the cover of the ark and he can see the dry land. What God wanted him to see the first time he stepped off the ark was that God was faithful and he keeps his promises. And on day 370, God tells Noah to leave the ark with his family and all of the animals. That is the itinerary that they took. 370 days to teach us that God is faithful, to show Noah. And the reason this story is in the Bible is to show us that God is faithful. So as we kind of put the period on the end of this amazing journey today that we've learned so much already from, let me give you a few ways. Because after a journey, you see they get off the boat, right? They're going to get off the boat and and God's going to make a covenant with Noah that he's never going to destroy the earth in the same way again. He's going to give a sign for that covenant and a rainbow that, that, that we still get to see the promises of God. It reminds us every time you see a rainbow, you should remember that stands for God being a promise keeper. But let's now unpack because when you get back from a journey, if you're like me, sometimes I like to leave my stuff laying there for too long in the, in the suitcase but you got to unpack at some point. So today, let's go ahead and be responsible people and let's unpack at the end of our journey each week. So how can we unpack from the story of Noah? Let's check that out right now. So let's go to Genesis chapter 8, verse 1 and see how this whole thing ended. It says, But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. So that's how it happened. And then guess what? Noah gets off the boat. I love it says here, God remembered. It doesn't, that does not mean that he forgot. This is what I want you to see. When it says God remembered Noah, it doesn't mean, oh, I forgot, there's Noah. No, what, what remembered mean is, it means is that now God is going to be faithful to keep his promises that he made to Noah, and that's exactly what he did. So how can we unpack this today? I'll give you three things to unpack from our bags from the journey with Noah. Number one, take this, take this very seriously. God takes sin seriously. We see from the story of Noah that God takes sin seriously, and we should. We should take sin seriously in our own lives. We should not play around with sin. The Bible says sin leads to destruction every single time, and God takes it seriously, and His own Son, Jesus, was crucified to cover our sin. So God takes sin seriously. So whatever little pet thing you have in your life that you think is not a big deal, God takes it seriously. And the story of Noah shows us that God takes sin seriously. Secondly, though, this is good news, God rescues miraculously. We can see from the story of Noah that God loves to rescue people who will believe in him. And he had a detailed plan for the ark, and there's a detailed plan for you and I in in Christ Jesus. Come to him today and believe upon him. And those of us who are already in Christ, we should celebrate it. You better believe Noah and his family celebrated that ark and their salvation the rest of their lives. I guarantee you they never had a a, a Thanksgiving where they weren't talking about it, right? They didn't get together for dinner 
and, and not talk about the ark. And you and I, we have been rescued in Christ Jesus. We should worship and talk about it. In fact, we do it every Sunday online or in person. We get together and we worship Jesus for Him being our ark, for Him saving us. And then finally, this is huge. Let's unpack the bag one last time. One last item, one last thing to get out from our bag is this. God keeps His promises faithfully. God keeps His promises faithfully. You can believe, look, he told Noah, I'm going to rescue you. Trust me. Get on the boat. 370 days. Kept him safe. Kept him fed. He told Noah after they got out of the ark, hey, be fruitful, multiply, and here's a rainbow to show you I'll never do this again in the same way. And he hasn't. He never will. You and I can believe and trust God. Whatever promises God makes, he is going to keep them. And the greatest promise we celebrate is, is the one he made in Christ Jesus that anyone who comes to Him and believes upon Him will be saved. And if you are already on the ark called Jesus, if you already by faith have believed in Him, then celebrate that today. Celebrate it, worship Him for it, and thank God that we're on a journey with Jesus as well. So, I'm so glad you joined us for week one. One of the most epic journeys in human history, Noah and the ark, points us right at Jesus. It points us at how, to how awesome our God is. I hope you'll join us each week for the Journey Series, but I hope today the story of Noah and the ark will light you up again for your love and affection for Jesus, that you'll be reminded of who God is, who we are in light of Him, and that we have a great Savior in Jesus. The ark was simply a preview to the main show called Jesus and the Gospel. Thank you for joining us today for the Journeys Series.